my name is Dr. Christy Early Murray. I'm the Zoetis Regional Strategic Veterinarian for the Midwest. And this episode's host of Pause and Reflect for, with Zoetis, provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Today's episode is a roundtable discussion. We'll explore how collaborative communication and teamwork between referral hospital teams and primary care teams elevate patient care and client service. Our guests today are Dr. Don Paulson, Dr. Stacy Burdick, and Val Washington. Dr. Paulson is both Managing Veterinarian of Shoreline Central Animal Hospital in Washington and Vice President of the Medical Advisory Board for NVA GP. Dr. Stacy Burdick is a boarded internist and practices interventional radiology and endoscopy at Red Bank Veterinary Hospital in New Jersey and clinical advisor to NVA Compassion First. Val Washington is the current Director of Customer Development for NVA Compassion First with over 30 years of experience in sales and leadership. Welcome to the podcast series. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. Val, we're going to start with you since your role is to oversee a team that is the face and voice of hospitals to the referral community in their markets. Who are these folks and what do they do? How does this team improve the referral partner experience? And what value does this team bring to both hospitals when it comes to building strong relationships, communicating, and formulating a collaborative patient care plan? Yeah, thanks, Christy. And, and I, I heard you emphasize those 30 years. So uh, <laughs> I kind of cringe when you said that, but, but I do have a lot of experience. And, um, you know, what, what we have with um, our, our team is that we're, we call them referral relationship managers. And essentially, they're liaisons between our ER and specialty practices and the referring community. And, and we, we, we developed this team really to, improve communication and and overall to you know have the best client experience and best patient care that we could possibly have so what this team does is they represent individual hospitals and they they are truly going into the referring practices so the general practices in, in each market area and really developing those relationships and 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 coming in to say hey how can we improve our partnership and and that's what it's all about. It's truly that that uh, continuous patient care, that handoff from the referring veterinarian to a specialty practice with that confidence that we're going to give the, the best medical care, best client treatment and experience, and then hand that patient back to the general practitioner. So, so these liaisons really help. They're kind of the conduit. They're the face of the practice. And, and when perhaps that referring vet is not able to reach out to our specialists or is frustrated with something that might be happening. And, you know, we, we certainly know that the last 15 months have been a, a very challenging time for all of us. So, um, you know, not being able to connect with a, a doctor or something, these people can help that and, and really improve the communication. You know, somebody asked me like, hey, what, what's the biggest challenge out there? And, and it's, it's, it's communication. I mean, everyone is so busy. And, and, you know, ultimately, everyone's trying to do the right thing for the pet and for the client. But, you know, it, time is not on our side. So this team really is, is that extra person that can be called, you know, texted, emailed, whatever, to say, hey, I, I need help. And, you know, it really has uh, improved the, the, you know, the quality of care. Um, they also do a lot of continuing education. Um, so you know, bringing whether it's a, you know, a live dinner meeting with a specialist to talk about a topic or, 
you know, the last 15 months, we've gotten very good at Zoom meetings with, with virtual CE. Um, we also do what's called meet and greets, where we actually take one of our specialists in our car with us and, and introduce them to the referring doctors. I mean, that that doctor to doctor conversation is just, you, you can't, you, you can't really, you know, um, change that in that it's just the best uh, to do that. So our team is really there to to really be that that conduit uh, for for good a good experience in that full circle um, um, collaboration. Thank you, Val, and thank goodness for your team, Dr. Paulson. As vice president of the medical advisory board, you said the mission is to improve medical care and operational efficiencies. You've also stressed the importance of solid communication and leadership skills. How can these skills, um, the solid communication and leadership, be used to improve collaboration with neighboring specialty and ER hospitals to provide exceptional patient care? I, th I think I would, what Val was talking about, actually, I think has a lot to the, has a lot to do with the answer to that question. The as a general practitioner, one of the things that means the absolute most to me when I'm collaborating with the specialty clinics is when the leadership teams from those specialty clinics come in and visit us in our clinics. It it just seeing their faces and getting to know them and actually having some direct contact with them is is such a great entry point. And as a leader, as, as a, as a leader of a general practice, you, you've got to get yourself out there. And I, I feel like especially practices do a great job of visiting us. We don't visit them. I, what, what I think is important for collaboration and to, and to even things out is for the leadership of a general practice, uh, one veterinarian, and, and then hopefully one of the managers of the practice go and visit the specialty practices, turn that on its head. So it's not just them always visiting us. We need to go there, see the faces of the people that work in the specialty clinics, see what they do in those specialty clinics and just walk through them. And I, I, I just, we don't do that. And I think we could collaborate a whole lot better if we would do exactly what Val is talking about with her liaisons is go and visit the practices, get to know each other, we can work so much better together if we know each other and we recognize each other. So that's what the first thing I want to do is just go, my hospital manager with Karis is, is, and go visit a specialty practice. Also, along the same lines as what Val was talking about, we, the, our, our local specialty clinics do an excellent job of putting on continuing education. I want every, I want someone from my practice every continuing education to be there, have a presence, ask those specialists some questions, get to know them and, and really support them and, and make them make it known to them just how important that is to us to have that CE and that that will really establish a good connection. Um, I think what happens with general practitioners and, and specialty clinics is there's this sensation that we're just punting the case and we're just, we just got to, we want to get rid of it and move it on. I, I, I want, I don't want it to feel that way. I want the specialist to feel like we are referring the case to them because we want to work with them. We want to be a part of the case. We need their help. 
we're not just trying to get rid of it so we can go on to, sometimes it is a relief <laughs> to be able to refer a case. Believe me, sometimes one day, you know, some days it's just, I, I, I can't do it. I, I got to refer this case, but more often than not, I, I want to be a part of it. And, and I just don't want that perception of a case that I'm just trying to dump off to a specialist. So that's, I think being a leader, it, it, we've got to show those and we've got to, we've got to let that, those kind of things shine through. That is fantastic advice to go visit the specialty <laughs> practice. Dr. Burdick, as an internist, developing and maintaining a collaborative relationship and partnership with the referral veterinarian is critical for best patient outcome. That's easier said than done. What are some things you do to ensure everyone is on the same page? I agree. I think especially over the last you know year and a half or so, this is much easier said than done. But I think it all comes back to developing those relationships and partnerships like Dr. Paulson and Val were talking about. So if we can have open communication about the cases, about the individual situations with clients, that's where we're going to get the best outcomes. The relationships that have been developed with the general practitioner over years and years and years, we don't have that when we're seeing a patient for the first time in the clinic. And there's a lot of really valuable information there that can help us when we're trying to determine a treatment plan for each individual patient. And if we don't take advantage of that, I feel that the patient and client are missing out. And so, you know, it's hard because calling every, every referring veterinarian before you see cases um, or after you see cases is incredibly time consuming. But if you've developed the relationships, like Dr. Paulson said, to the point where you actually have a relationship with each other and feel comfortable, maybe even shooting them a text and saying, hey, I saw you know Fluffy today. We're doing great on the treatment plan. Here's the update. But we, you know, we mean, need to make a decision about X, Y, and Z. And the family's really struggling with that. So what do you think? And, and just having that and being able to go back to the family and saying, hey, you know, I talked to Dr. Paulson today and we both are on the same page and really feel like this is the next best step. I think that's invaluable to both outcomes and the general feeling from the clients, um, having everyone on the same page and having a complete care team. So any way that you can develop that relationship, I know that also texting is difficult. I, I get that. Um, but, you know, any way that you can develop those relationships and have that open communication, Val's team is invaluable with this, um, really, I think, benefits everyone. If I could add just one more thought, just about, you know, that communication um, between the referring practice and especially what, what Dr. Paulson just said about the, you know, hey, go visit your specialty practice, something else that we do and we really encourage and, and listeners um, anyone that has new grads uh, in their hospitals, you know, that is by far, you know, these, these people are coming out, they're, they're young, um, they, they want to do the right thing, and they may not know their specialty practices. And, and um, you know, we, we try to make a point of doing like new grad events where we invite, you know, a, maybe it's a, you know, a, a wine tasting night or something mm -hmm. that, you know, sometimes uh, involves alcohol, but you bring the the grads in. You you bring the specialists in, and it, it it's just so helpful because they get mm -hmm. to know one another and they build that relationship and that that camaraderie that that's mm -hmm. so needed, as, especially for the for the new grads coming out. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that. But that's just you yeah. Know, the, the, I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Val, I I I got to go first, Doctor Burdick. I'm so excited. Go, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, I, I, when I was just a couple years out of school, I, I really, I, I love surgery. I really enjoy doing surgery and our local specialty clinic, I developed a rapport with them and I came in and learned at least three or four procedures as a new grad. And that, that, I, that's probably one of the, the finest memories of my career was being able to go in. Hmm. They were busy, but they, they, he, he took the time to show me and, and whatever I wanted to learn how to do, he was so, it was just the best experience. So for a new grad, just in terms of just, uh, yeah, visiting, visiting a specialty practice, that's the best time to do it. Those first few years out of practice. So that's a really good point. I was just going to add that, you know, that relationship humanizes everybody. And especially recently, that is so important um, in our field to remember that, you know, we're all human and, um, you know, that part of it, that part of the relationship is just incredibly important. We're, and you're human and you went to school to, to, you know, provide great medicine to, you know, these animals. So, you know, everyone's goal is the same to, you know, best patient care. You know, it, it's how we go about it and sometimes things happen, but yeah, we do have to remember that, you know, we're all in this for the, for the pets. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys. This is amazing. I love this conversation. I don't, you don't even need my questions. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Dr. Paulson, let's go back to you. Talk about emergencies. Um, as, as a managing veterinarian, your primary responsibility is advancing the medical standards within the practice and associate mentorship and development. How do you mentor a new veterinarian when they're trying to figure out which cases should go to the ER and which ones you know, they might be able to manage themselves. What are some things to consider when it comes to mentorship? Yeah, yeah well, you know, most specialty referral practices are emergency practices anymore. And, and this is a good follow-up on what we were just talking about. The evolution of referrals to emergencies have changed dramatically during the course of my career in that as I, as I started as a vet, we took our own emergency calls and most clinics, for the most part, handled their own emergencies. And now you fast forward to now, there, there's such a great wide availability of high quality emergency clinics. And the, the education that the students are getting is oftentimes they're, they're fairly quick to want to refer cases to specialists. So I feel like there's a probably, you know, middle ground there where a more experienced vet who's had those chance, those opportunities or times to have to handle a case because there isn't any place to refer to. You have to manage that case. But if we can, in a sense, kind of triangulate it between if we can involve the specialists and then more experienced vets and then the younger vets, there is a moment of truth in every case where if you just stick with it and hang in there and, and dig in a little bit, and this is where it's fun. I mean, it takes you, you got to dig down deep sometimes, but if you stick with it, you can get your way through some of these tougher cases. And I think the emergency clinicians right these days appreciate it if we can dig down and hang on to a case and not necessarily refer it. So that's where an experienced vet, act, we have to act as mentors to the younger vets who might be a little bit quick to pull that trigger to refer a case where we 
we probably could have handled it and done a good job and still had the good client out, good patient outcome. That's the most important thing, of course. We have to know when there's that point in a critical care case, it is a, it's out of our league and we need we need to refer that to those specialists and then and then we'll do a good job of transferring it. But there's a lot of cases we could we could handle in a general practice that don't need to be referred. And that's where I I think the more experienced vets need to, as leaders, part of our job as leaders and more experienced vets is to help those younger vets decide during that moment of truth, hang in there, we can do it, we can figure this out without referring it. Yeah, thank you. I know when I was a new grad, I was um, really excited to have a referral hospital down the road, an <laughs> yeah. emergency hospital, because I wanted to turf all of them because <laughs> it was scary, right? All right, Val, let's continue the focus on ER medicine. We all know the ER has become busier than ever during these times. So what does a great partnership look like between the ER team and the referring hospital, knowing that the ultimate goal, again, as Dr. Paulson mentioned, is best patient care? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think some of it is training at our hospital, at our ER hospitals. And, and I think sometimes the, the challenges come in when that, that client comes in. Um, one of the things that we need to be always doing at, at the front desk is asking, you know, who's your referring, who's your general practitioner? You know, who do you take your, your pet to for vaccinations and so on? Because we really want to, you know, get that information back to the referring vet. Um, sometimes it's captured, sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes the clients choose not to provide it. Sometimes they don't have a vet, but you know, there, there's reasons, but we have to do a really good job you know, as an ER practice to, to really try to gather that information because that, that's where it, you know, it, it, the, the chain gets broken if we don't collect that information. And then that client does eventually go back to a, a general practitioner and they find out that, hey, this pet was treated and, and it comes back to us in, in not such a good way. So, you know, we really want to, you know, get, get that right at the, the front. You know, again, it's the client experience so that, you know, what happens when that client walks through the door? What kind of experience is it? You know, I think of myself, I'm not a veterinarian. Um, I'm going to trust my vet to send me to who, who is, you know, going to practice great medicine. So I never question the medicine. But if I don't have a good experience at this practice, I'm probably going to go back to that veterinarian and say, hey, you know, my the outcome was good, but I didn't I didn't feel good about my experience. And, and that 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 can really affect, you know, where that uh, referring vet refers again. So we really want to, you know, do everything possible from that time that client perhaps you know, calls to make an appointment or walks through the door, you know, that that continuous loop that communication back. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm saying communication all the time because it really is about that. <laughs> and, and for our liaisons, you know, when they're talking to the referring veterinarians and they say, how are we doing? And if there's a case where they say, well, you know, this didn't go so well because I never heard back, we need to hear that information so we can go back, research it and find out and, and, and improve our process. I mean, it's all about continuous improvement. Because again, ultimately we want to be that partner and, and pass that client back, that patient back and, and them saying, yeah, it was, it was, it was wonderful. I'm sorry, my pet was sick, but you know, it, it couldn't have gone any better. So that hopefully, you know, will, will help everybody. Thank you so much, Val. Experience is a huge part of 
um, going in to see, you know, an emergency hospital. It's a big, big deal. All right, Dr. Paulson, back to you. I think everyone on this panel would agree the general practice veterinarian often knows their clients best. So we just mm -hmm. talked about why is it important that the ER veterinarian communicate and collaborate with the primary veterinarian to formulate the best follow-up plan for the patient, including, you know, the decision to refer. No one wants to face an upset client after they learn that specialty care was an option for their pet, but it was never offered. Um, how important is it to provide all of the options these days? I, I do like to Think of it as as Val was describing. It's a, it's a chain of care. Hopefully, a big strong chain. That's and hopefully not a straight, not piled up in a bunch. It's like a nice straight long chain. If and what I I think if we look at it that way, the general practitioner refers the case as an emergency. Once that case is at the emergency clinic, I put my full faith and trust. That's why I refer to that clinic because they know what to do best there. If we have all of a sudden two vets, maybe three trying to determine how to keep that chain in line and, and provide leadership, that's too many vets. Vets are, we, veterinarians have, a, you were a little bit opinionated. We, <laughs> we, we, uh, we have really high principled education and our, and it's sometimes it clashes. I think it's best once they're at the emergency clinic, I want them to use their best judgment to stabilize that patient. I want the emergency clinician to, to be able to determine at that time, should this be referred to a high level internist or a surgical case? I, I don't want to get my get mixed up into that pot. I think we need to keep that chain straight and strong and, and trust those emergency clinicians to make that decision. Dr. Burdick. Specialists have also been very busy during the pandemic. What communication around expectations would be helpful for both the pet owner and specialist prior to having a referral come through? Um, I, you know, I think expectations are super important. And again, I think it, you know, what we've been talking about today with communication and um, relationship building can help with that. But if the clients can come the biggest one, honestly, is having medical records. As John was talking about, just that link is broken if we don't have medical records from the general practitioner to look through and evaluate prior to our prior to our appointment. It, it um, makes it incredibly difficult. And then we get into situations that no one wants to be in where we're trying to have a conversation with the client about where to go next. And we don't have the full information to do that. So that doesn't make any of us look good. Um, and the best would be to avoid that situation. So I think, first of all, making sure that all medical records are complete and sent over, and that includes diagnostics. You know, we don't want to repeat diagnostics um, and lab work. And so having those um, sent over beforehand helps prevent that so that we can formulate a plan. And then in addition, I think that even though it's difficult having some financial expectation of where we're headed, uh, would be incredibly helpful. No one likes surprising clients with that information in the room. And I do think that, you know, I, I completely understand that it is difficult to know every treatment plan and estimates for all of that. But if you're referring a patient and you're not sure, that's where the communication comes in, where you can have a discussion preemptively to make sure that, you know, the client is somewhat aware of what testing may cost. What are some of the basic diagnostic tests that a veterinarian should try to complete 
prior to referring a patient. Despite the need, some pet owners, you know, they may feel like specialty hospitals are running unnecessary diagnostics. And as veterinarians, we know that's unlikely. Um, so what is the best way to ensure pet owners understand the value of the diagnostic tests? Again, I think that's having everyone on the same page and open communication and understanding. You know, there's several reasons why tests may be repeated. Um, you know, we should do make every effort together to make sure that some of them, like we don't have them at the time of the, the consult, um, are eliminated from that equation uh, so that we can all have the same information and that diagnostic tests, you know, we're only repeating the ones that we absolutely have to. And then trusting each other, again, coming back to that relationship and humanizing each other, trusting each other to say, okay, they re you know, repeated this test for a reason. And if you're unsure of why that test was repeated, giving that specialist a call and saying, hey, you know, I just ran this two days ago. Why did you repeat it? And, be, you know, hearing them out and, and having an open conversation around it. I do think that baseline diagnostics prior to referral are completely reasonable because you know, how, how do you, like Dr. Paulson said earlier, how do you know that they need a referral if you don't at least have blood work and urinalyses? Uh, and that happens quite often actually where they come to us and those basic tests aren't completed. And that's, you know, that's something that again would be best patient care if that was done. And um, best for the referring, you know, partner as well. Do you agree, Dr. Paulson? I do. And I, I would add there too that, the um, it's up to the general practitioner to educate clients or at least prepare the clients that disease is a dynamic ongoing process. And we oftentimes have to keep digging and looking. And sometimes the answer will be in the same test that we did previously, but a veterinarian, whether they're a specialist or a general practitioner is gonna wanna repeat that and double check on that. And then I think it does, it, it matters a little bit if we are talking about a specialty referral or an emergency clinic referral. I think as, as a specialist referral, we're trying to probably run and accomplish as much investigation and diagnostic testing in that particular specialty area that we can to try to, to, try to work out the case on our own before we refer it. And in, in, in that case, there should be a pretty good database by that point if, if we've really worked the case out. Whereas if it's an ER case and it's you know, it's five thirty and it's a it's a uh, you know a huge laceration you don't have maybe you don't have time to do or something you don't necessarily have to do a lot of diagnostic work on that. So it does of course depend on whether it's a it's a specialty referral or it's an ER referral. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was looking at it through the lens of an internist, so thank you. Yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. Thank you so much, um, both of you. All right, Dr. Paulson, back mm -hmm. to you. Um, leading collaboratively is part of your role, again, as managing veterinarian. At the end of the day, we're all working hard to provide the best patient care and medical outcome for pets and the clients we serve. What advice do you have for your fellow general practitioners when it comes to working closely and developing a great collaborative relationship with your local referral hospital? Oh, well, I, I, that brings me to I, the, the best part about being a veterinarian is that you are constantly learning new things, the new innovations, the, 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 the science that comes about it. That's why we love it. And that's what we learn about. There is no better place 
to get that feeling than at a specialty referral clinic. I mean, there's so much there. They, I see, I see our specialty referral clinic as an outreach of our universities. The, the Dr. Burdick and other specialists are people that oftentimes, you know, in, in earlier days would have all been at the university and we would have, you know, connected with them there, but now they're, now they're right there. They're right there and they're available to us. We can learn so many new things and those neat specialties. There's, there's so many clutch things they're doing. The best way to work with your peers is to find those areas of interest that are stimulating to your intellectual development, continuing to learn as a veterinarian throughout your entire career, new graduate or two weeks from retirement. There is something you can learn. Why not? just take advantage of what is right there. Specialty and ER clinics are right there. They want to help. They want us to learn about what their little areas of interest. Dr. Burdick, for instance, her her area is so focused. And so most general practitioners know very little about what it is she's doing. And I, I want to learn about that. I want to hear about it. And that is going to work in our favor for patient care in the long term. When I know when I know what she can do, what she's capable of doing in some very, very specific cases, then I'm more likely to do it other than rather than give up and just let the case go. I, I now I know this will work. This is this neat technology. And as a vet, I, I, I'm I know I'm not the only vet that wants to keep learning and keep on educating myself. Use those ER clinics to the best of patient care. And that that's that, that would be, I think, my advice to all my peers is never let that go, that you want to keep learning and use those local specialty clinics to achieve that. You know, there's nothing better. The client feels so much that closer and more confident in their relationship with their with their general practitioner when they feel that they have the the utmost understanding and knowledge of what's happening on the innovative front in, in yeah. veterinary medicine. You know, there's nothing worse than standing in front of a client that presented to me for minimally invasive bladder stone removal because they found a blog on the internet and asking me, <laughs> well, why didn't my, why didn't my referring back who I've been going to for, you know, yeah. all of my pets, why didn't they know about this? Um, and so I completely agree with you because that, you know, that it, it just is amazing. The clients just feel so great when they come and, and, you know, they have all of these really cool new options that they're referring vet told them about um, and helped them to, to come over and, and utilize. Yeah, Stacey, I, I, you just hate to get caught flat footed as a, as a general practitioner that's just really doesn't even seem interested in learning new mm-hmm. things at all. All of our clients know we don't know everything, but they sure are impressed when we do know some things that otherwise, you know, they might not have expected. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I like it when I when I can say, wow, there is this specialist down the street. I, I can't handle this here. But now that we know what it is and we we know there's a treatment, here's that specialist who has this very focused area of, of work. He, she or he can do this for us. This is going to mm-hmm. be great. Yeah, and that comes back to collaboration, which happens all the time in the referral hospital. I mean, that's what we thrive off of is looking at a case and saying, okay, I understand this. I also understand I'm very open to the fact that I don't know everything. And 
about every body system. And that's why we like collaborating and having the neurologist or the surgeon right outside the door um, or oncology so that we can all communicate, talk about the case for the best patient outcome and offering the best options for the client. Even if they don't take it, at least they had an understanding and an education around what was possible. Gosh, thank you so much. This is the best conversation. I just love this. I um, just have a couple more questions. Um, Dr. Burdick, I think we all recognize collaborative care is, is really complex and we do our best to work as a team to provide that excellent patient care. But despite the best intentions, we're human, as, as you said, and situations arise that may sometimes create tension between partners. How do you gracefully and delicately navigate these tough situations to avoid strained relations and hard feelings, mm -hmm. knowing that some veterinarians already struggle with well-being and imposter syndrome? That's a great question. And I think we always focus on that perspective from how the clients treat us, um, but we need to be you know, very open about how we treat each other. And I think it comes back to exactly what you just said and what we've been talking about, which is open communication and understanding. And I think Val put it beautifully early on with, you know, we're all in this for the same reason. We've all dedicated our lives to ensuring the best patient care and best outcomes for our pets and their families. And remembering that fact when we, you know, when those tensions do inevitably arise and just giving each other a little bit of grace and remembering that, you know, we're all on the same team here and picking up the phone and calling your colleague and having a conversation about it. Um, again, sometimes that's awkward. And, you know, I think that for a lot of us, that's very difficult and something that we don't look forward to doing. But if you, I have found that when I have done that, Often it's because of a lack of communication or a misunderstanding. And once you clear that up, you feel so much better and you've just solidified that partnership. And again, that all comes back to being able to provide the best patient care. Thank you so much for that. Um, I think, you know, it means a lot for listeners to hear um, that from you. It's, I think it's really important. So Val, in your bio, you noted your focus has always been on improving communication like listening more and talking less. Tell me how listening can help improve communication. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time shadowing people. Um, you know, we, we walk into veterinary practices all the time. Um, you know, and from our standpoint, a lot of times my liaisons are extremely excited about all the new things they want to talk to perhaps a, a, a DVM about. And, you know, we don't know if that DVM is really interested in what we have to say. So, you know, it, you, you have to step back and say, okay, what, what do they need? And, and really start asking some open-ended questions to just identify it. And, and we can correlate this to a, a DVM talking to a client. Um, we, we really need to, you know, ask those big open-ended questions. And I always think of it as a, as a big funnel. And you, you ask a very broad question first, you know, how, how's your pet doing? Uh, and then you listen. And, and this is something that I, I, I train my, my team, or I try to at least say, stop, don't, don't fill in the blanks. Let that client or let that DVM or whomever you're talking to talk. Now, what tends to happen is that person's 
already thinking about, oh, I've got to ask this question. I've got to, you know, do these, these things because I'm so excited about getting this information out. They're not listening to what they're responding. And, and so you have missed what their need really is sometimes. And so it, it is really a skill that, that, that takes some discipline, but yet you ask a big question, you pause, you listen to their response, and then you go further and you, you keep narrowing down that those questions based on their responses so that you get to the point where, and, and maybe it's a yes or no question that you finally have to ask, but you get to the point where you are learning what their need is, what, what they really need to know about, and then you can address it. But you know, asking more questions is just always something that that I I think is is so important. But but stop, don't don't mm-hmm. keep talking because um, you know I what what happens in 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 our world is we we spend time at each of the practices we we leave, and then we kind of do a debrief. And one of my big things that I always ask is, okay, what did you learn today? And they may, their plan may be like, hey, I really wanted to talk about our new oncology service. You know, that was really exciting. But when they walked in, they started asking questions. The doctor wanted to talk about a radiology case that, that, that they had a problem with or a question about. And so we really didn't get to the oncology, but that's okay. We learned some things. And and that's what you know. I always say is that you, you should walk out with more knowledge, more knowledge about the practice, about the the doctor and what their needs are so that we can be a better partner. And, and I think we can you know, translate that to talking to clients and, and how we can communicate better and, and you know, that whole don't assume. You, know, you, you really want to just ask questions and listen and, and really understand their needs and, and what's going on with the pet. You know, you, you, of course, medically, you can, you can understand a lot of things, but there, there may be some other things that we need to address with that client that that may not be so much medical. You may need to understand some other things that are bothering the client. So, you know, it's it's all about asking questions and then stop. Don't talk. <laughs> that was beautifully said as well. I think listening is one of the most important, but one of the most difficult skills, yeah. Yeah. Um, everything communication. So with that, guys, how does this happen? We're out of time. Thank you all for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you all on the podcast. Uh, This is the second episode of season seven of Pause and Reflect from Zoetis, but do not despair. (laughs) (laughs) Episode three of season seven's communication series is coming up next. Subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, and you will be notified when it launches. I'm Dr. Christy Early-Murray, and this has been Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Thank you.